Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3 for the sermon passage. Matthew 3, or Matthew chapter 2, sorry. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. At the cradle of our Lord Jesus Christ and at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, there were some cosmic disturbances. Think about what we said last week. Last week we said that Mary and Joseph at some point in time had to start telling Jesus what happened at his birth. Angelic revelations. This is what the angel said to me, Mary said to Jesus. This is what the angel said to me, Joseph said to Jesus. We see shepherds hearing angels sing. These are pictures of heaven coming down to earth. These are pictures or scenes of disturbances in the skies. If you go to the cross, you will read where when Jesus died on the cross, the earth shook and the rocks were split. Again, more disturbances. When Jesus was born, we've just read about a star that came up in the sky and it led these magi all the way to the place Jesus was born. If you go to the cross, you'll see at midday what happens at midday. Everything should have been bright as, as light, but it goes dark for three hours. These are cosmic disturbances that are going on at the cradle and at the cross. But these are not the only things disturbed at the cradle and the cross. Human hearts are present at the cradle and they're present at the cross. And we're going to see these different hearts react to Jesus in the cradle and at the cross. Let's think about Christ and human responses. At the cradle and at the cross, Jesus reveals himself there in complete and total weakness. Here is Herod the Great 
the king of the Jews, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and all Jerusalem are what? They're troubled. What are they troubled over? A baby? (laughs) They're troubled over a baby. Here is Herod the Great. He's a bloodthirsty, tyrannical sort of man. He's disturbed at the birth of a baby. All those folks along with him in all Jerusalem. And if you go to the cross, Herod's son, Herod Antipas, is disturbed about Jesus dying on a cross. If you go read about Pilate and Pilate's wife, they are disturbed about Jesus Christ and the cross. Why are the powers so disturbed? Why be so so disturbed over an infant or a man bleeding his life away on the cross? It's because in both of these instances, the power of God is being met in these people's lives. And we're going to see what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.25. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God. This impotence of a child in the, in, the, in the cradle and this impotence of a man on a cross, we're going to see the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So think about what happens around the cradle. We're going to see three things. We're going to see revelation, proclamation, and a human heart reaction. Think about that. What do we see? In Matthew 2, 1 through 12, we see extraordinary, general, Revelation. We see a star. A star comes up in Magi who lived in the east. They they are wise men. They are advisors to kings. If you go and study Magi, there were astronomers. There are students who studied the stars. And there's, there's an idea here that these men probably had some teaching from Old Testament texts because of the Jews being in exile in Babylon. The idea here for some, some believe that maybe they had heard Numbers 24, verse 17. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So the Jews who were there, remember the synagogues are started up during the time of, of the Babylonian captivity. And these words would have been sort of filtering through among the people. Well, in any case, this star rises up and these men who study stars make calculations and their conclusion is a royal birth has taken place. There are tons of natural explanations. It was a comet. It was a nova. It was a supernova. This is hard to understand. We're told about a star, a supernatural thing in the heavens. But if you can believe in angelic visitations to a woman and a man and to shepherds in the field, and if you can believe that a woman is conceived in, the, in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, why do we have such a hard time with a star? This disturbance causes these men, who are they? They are pagan men. This is really, this, that would be a whole other sermon. These are pagan men, and what do they do? They come to the center of the world in Matthew 2, verse 2, and they say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now you add to the star, you add to maybe a, maybe Numbers twenty four seventeen. you add to that little piece of maybe some Old Testament, you add to that the words that the men spoke to them in Herod's presence. Herod calls all the men together. And listen, he says, where is the Messiah to be born? And it was on the tip of their tongues. These men knew the scriptures. 
In Herod's court, these men knew the scriptures. And this is what they said. In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And then they talk and they give you that verse there. Where it says in verse 6, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the, the leaders of Judah, and so forth. It's on the tip of their tongue. The Magi, they received this information. They told Herod all about it. And then they were sent to Bethlehem. And they made the careful search. And they were to come back and give him a report. So at the cradle, we see revelation. We see extraordinary phenomenon taking place in the sky. We see wise men drawing near to this king. And once they hear about that, once they hear where he's to be born, they go there. And as they leave Herod's presence, it says the star went before them. It stood over the place. And it says, you know, my text says they rejoiced with great joy. One guy says this, it, they were hilariously happy. Can you imagine seeing the star? <laughs> and they just, they go right, right out of Herod's presence. Well, maybe the star won't be there, but it was. And it led them straight to Jesus. Well, we also see here uh, some proclamation. I think we could say the revelation was the proclamation. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? They say this to the king. They say this to these men and all Jerusalem has heard this and they're disturbed by it. For we saw his star in the east. I mean, they are taking the information and they are proclaiming it. And these men who are in uh, the King Herod's presence, they, what's on the tip of their tongue, they say the truth. Now, I would just say this. This is where crooked sticks hit straight licks. Right? You ever heard of that line? They are crooked. These are men who are going to perpetrate Jesus' death, but they, sp they state the truth. And so here we have this revelation and this proclamation. And then we see two human reactions. What was the, what was the reaction of the Magi? Well, they're excited. And they go straight to where the star leads them. They go straight to where Jesus is. And it says they fell down on the ground and they worshipped him. They opened up their, their treasures and they gave him the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. And if you want just another piece or a little a little bit more text to follow. When the shepherds heard about Jesus, they went to go see what they had heard and they walked away praising and rejoicing and being so full of joy about Jesus' birth. There is a reception. There is belief. There is worship. And then there's another response. And that's the response of Herod. Once they realized that the Magi had outwitted them. Remember that? They were filled with fury. He gave orders that all the children in Bethlehem and that surrounding vicinity, all of those babies were to be put to death two years old and under. But Jesus was safely in Egypt at that time. God had warned Joseph in a dream to take the child and flee. We see rejection and persecution. What do we see at the cross? Well, we see revelation. At the cross, Jesus is revealing himself in Power? No, in total impotence and weakness. Here is our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes outside the gates of Jerusalem to a hill called Calvary to die. Do you remember, David, what happened when Absalom perpetrated the lie and he, he pulled a coup off and he, he told everybody that they should be on his side and not his father's side. And so, man, Absalom is coming to kill his own father. David leaves Jerusalem. He goes outside the gates of Jerusalem and he is with, with tears. He's barefooted. His head is covered. And now we see our greater 
than David. What is he doing? He leaves with a crown of thorns on his head. And yet God calls this my glory. Isn't that interesting? God calls what Jesus does on the cross my glory. How in the world is that God's glory? Well, I think sometimes we get kind of carried away with ourselves. And we think that it means this is just about us. But it's not just about us. It's the Father is, says this is my glory because this is my Son. And He does exactly what I ask Him to do. He did His will even to death on the cross. And then it's for us as well. God takes what Jesus did. He takes and He imputes our sins upon Jesus. Remember a few weeks ago we said the wages of sin is death. He takes all the wages of our sin and He puts them on Jesus. He puts all His wrath in a sling and He throws it into Jesus and it crushes Him, but it doesn't crush His head. It crushes Him on the foot. It hurts His foot. Satan thinks he's won. And yet, this only harms Jesus on the foot, but it crushes Satan's head. It crushes sin and death's head. The glory of God, this is the power of God on the cross. Salvation comes to us through this revelation, through this gospel. And as we see all of this, there's proclamation that goes, and goes forth after Jesus' death on the cross. Because not only did he die on a cross, but he was raised from the dead. And once Jesus is raised from the dead, who shows up? Angels showed up when the earth, when, when everybody, when the Jesus was being born, and angels begin to show up when Jesus has been raised from the dead. Do you remember there were two Marys and they went to the tomb? And as they went to the tomb, there was an angel there and he had come down from heaven. And when, after he came down from heaven, a violent earthquake happened and he rolls the stone away and the Marys are there. And he has to tell them not to be afraid. He is not here, the angel says to them. He has risen, just as he said. Now you gals go tell Jesus' disciples. And so here we have two responses. The two Marys, what do they do? They run to go tell Jesus' disciples. And while they're on the way, who do they meet? Well, they meet Jesus. What do they do? They fall down and grasp hold of his feet. Remember, he says, don't touch me now, don't touch me now. But they can't do, what do you do when you've found Jesus raised from the dead? And they're worshiping him. And they go and they tell the disciples and they're filled with joy. But we also see rejection here. The guards of the tomb reported to the chief priest every detail of this resurrection. And they rejected it all. They paid them off to, to tell a lie. Here's the lie. His disciples came during the night and he stole them away. You tell them that forever. So at the cradle and at the cross, we see two human responses. We see this to the revelation and proclamation. Two hearts, two different kinds of hearts. And nothing has changed even today. When you come to the cradle and the cross today, people have the same responses. So let's think about some applications. Consider the rejection of the Christ at the cradle and the cross. Isn't this the great reversal? Jesus turns everything. God turns everything on his head. He uses the weakness of infants and men dying on trees to shame the powerful. He uses what we call the foolish to shame the wise. This, these men, think about these men. They were so close to the Bible. They quote the Bible. And these men turn right around and reject Jesus at the, at the cradle. 
They turn right around and they figure a way out to kill little babies. And ultimately, later on, they kill him on a cross. While simple fishermen, wretched sinners, and foreigners like magi receive and worship Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27 says, Consider your calling, brethren, that you were not many wise according to the flesh. You were not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are. This should be a warning to us. These men, instead of running to Jesus Christ at the cradle and worshiping Him, and these men at the cross... After the resurrection, they perpetrate a lie. Instead of going and seeing the facts and, and falling down and worshiping Him, they perpetrate a lie. And we too, we have Scriptures in our hands. How many of us have the Scriptures on the tip of our tongues? You can come to something like we did last night. You can know every single song. How many people know every one of the words? We can know all of these things and yet be those who have no grace in our hearts. Can we be so close to the Word of God? Can we be so much in the worship of God and still have no grace in our hearts? Bishop Ryle says this, Familiarity with sacred things has an awful tendency to make men despise them. Could it be that I'm so familiar with the cradle and with the cross that I've neglected the Christ who was born in the cradle and who died on the cross? Could it be that I'm willing to hang up lights? Now, maybe you've gotten tired. You know, we didn't do as many lights this year because I think we're tired. <laughs> but there'll be another year and we'll probably just do it up really big, right? But could it be that we are so into trees and we're so into nativity scenes and so into events and so into giving and receiving that we're neglecting Jesus Christ Himself. Could it be that we're so consumed with this stuff that we don't walk around holding on to Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord and the one we love? We need to examine our hearts and ask, am I rejecting the cradled Christ and the Christ of the cross? Because you see, people who did are disturbed. And if you don't hold on to Jesus every time you hear His name and you're not at peace with Him, you will constantly be disturbed. Well, second, consider the reception of the cradle Christ and the Christ of the cross. At the cradle, Magi fell down and worshipped Him. And at the resurrection, we see the two Marys and the disciples falling down and grasping hold of His feet. What does that look like? I told the men yesterday, you know, uh, one of the things I was doing when the kids were little, we were out on the playground and I was reading this book. And um, I often remember, I try to do this, but I'm telling you what I learned one day. Um, and this man said, don't give definitions, give descriptions. Well, I'm going to try to give you a description of what it means to open up your heart. Okay. Here are these men. Here are these magi. They fall down. They worship Him. It says they use words and they open up their treasures. The word treasure comes from the English word thesaurus. What's a thesaurus? It's a book. It's a book. It's a treasure house of words. And a treasure box that these men were carrying around, they were 
they were um, boxes. They put very precious things on the inside and closed the lids. You know, sometimes we put stuff in there to keep them from bumping around and breaking, right? And so here represents the best these men had to offer. Now, a few years ago, my daughter got married and something happened and I didn't understand it. And it took, isn't it interesting? We look, we look at, we kind of get to a certain year and we look back and we don't even understand some of the things that have happened until we can stop and look back. And so Justly was going to get married and all the women that I trained in Tyler, Texas, they're going to give my daughter a shower. I trained a bunch of women. And I'm going, they're going to give my daughter a shower. Why are they going to give my daughter a shower? I trained them, not my daughter. Why are they giving my daughter a shower? And so I began to understand that these, these gals, they would give their arms and their legs for me. Why is that? I, I had discussions with them for 10 years. I first came up here. The first thing I wanted to know is how you'd treat me. I knew you knew what, you're do, what you were doing. But at first, a lot of them were, they, they wanted somebody who was an, an you know, educated trainer. They wanted somebody who was, you know, usually a 40-something-year-old trainer is a little bit different than 23-year-old trainers. And, um, but they had me. And um, I started realizing that they didn't just have somebody who trained them. They didn't just have somebody who um, knew how to take them through a workout. Because, folks, look, at a certain point in 10 years, you could do what I was teaching you to do. You could, they, they could do it on their own. I started realizing that they were glad I was with them. They didn't just get a guy training them. They got a friend. And so I would give them words. I would give them counsel. I didn't do what other trainers did. Tell you what to do and walk away while you do it. I sat there and I talked to these people. I walked women to their cars, opened their doors. I helped them make decisions. I talked through their divorces. I talked through their new marriages. I talked through one woman through a rape situation. I talked people through diagnosis of cancer. I talked people through recovering from their cancer. I talked to people about their marriage counseling that they were paying one eighty-five an hour for. I talked to them about raising their kids, going to college, Bible, church, sin, Jesus. I talked to them. There was one man who, when I started talking to him, he had 12 people working for him. At the end of 10 years, he had 140 people working for him. I talked men through being fired from their jobs. I had wives angry at me for waiting on husbands who had been fired from their job. I just stayed up there and waited on them because they got there late. I just stayed there and talked to them anyway. And I remember this lady saying to me, you need to leave him and not even just come and see that you're not there. And I said, yeah, but your husband's hurting. They got a friend. They didn't just get uh, a trainer. Now, enough about me. Hasn't God given us much more? See, God opened up his treasure house. God opened up his treasure box. You know, we have men, we have men. I have met men who have gun cases with fifteen and twenty-five thousand dollar 
shotguns on the inside. I We have friends who have hope boxes, and inside those hope boxes are precious dolls. And God, when He gave His Son, He opened up His gun case and gave His $25,000 shotgun. Now that really means something to a kid who shoots a shotgun every single day. These dolls, these dolls that arise, we put precious things in these boxes. And God opens up His heart and He pours out the very best that He can give, which is Jesus Christ. And so, we get the very best. The question's not, what will you give in return for Jesus Christ? The question is, what will, what will you not give? Not what you will give. Not what you will give. What will you not give? Doesn't He deserve everything? You gave him, give him your life. You give him your time. You give him your worship. You kneel down and you clasp his feet. You open up your treasure store, your heart, and you give him all that's in it. John Owen writes, We are not at any time to serve God with what cost us naught or nothing. It's got to cost us. Now sometimes, listen, let me help you. We've been going at it since Friday night, and some of us maybe more. Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, and here we are again, and we're going to end at what? Maybe 2, 3 o'clock today? We've got, we got to put stuff up. Oh, tired. You know what? God loves it. God loves that what we're doing. God loves it when we give Him our time. God loves it when he, we open up our heart and give Him all that we are. Are you giving your time? Are you giving your heart to something or to somebody else? You know, Gail Sayers, y'all don't know Gail Sayers from Chicago. Some of us do. Chicago Bears. Gail Sayers wrote a book called I Am Third. (laughs) And God first, wife and family second, me third. Well, have you gotten your loves out of order? This is how it ought to work. Love God, love your neighbor, hunting third. Love God, love your neighbor, love your cello third. Love God, love your neighbor, love your podcast third. (laughs) Right? Love God, love your neighbor, third. Whatever it is. Lounging on the couch, third. Hobbies, third. Work, third. You fill in the third. You and I are to open up the treasure boxes of our heart and present to the cradled Christ and the Christ who went to the cross our best, not our refuse and not our scraps. Malachi writes this, When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord? Do you hear what he's saying? <laughs> you try that going to your you try going to your boss tomorrow and you try giving him the scraps. See what he says. You try giving him the scrap of your energy. You say, you know, today I'm I didn't work very I, I was didn't sleep good last night, so I think I'm gonna take a nap in the office. You see what he says to that. We all know what he says. You and I, we are to give God our absolute best. Open up your heart and give Him the most valuable thing you have. And I I would say to you the most valuable thing we all have is T-I-M-E. Do not come to church on Sunday morning totally annihilated from the night before. 
and give him the scraps. Open up a heart, men, and give that heart to your family. And some of us may be hurting right now. Say, Pastor, Pastor Mark, I'm really, really hurting. Well, you know, God tells us this. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. These things he does not despise. So are you hurting? Well, bring those things to him as well. Don't walk out of here today and tell me you can't do this. Don't walk out of here today and tell me you're too busy. Don't say, I am so busy. Because a Christian, a Christian who really understands that God has taken out his very best from his heart and given him up for you, then you and I, we will do the same for him. Well, we have an opportunity to worship the Lord and continue in the Lord's Supper. And we have the cradled Christ crucified for us and he's been raised from the dead. And he sits in the heavens and he rules and reigns until he comes again. And he left us this supper to commemorate what he did. He left it for us to celebrate and for us to commune with Jesus Christ in this covenant renewal as we wait upon him to come back. Jesus says, this is my body. Jesus says, this is my blood. Cradled and crucified and now risen from the dead. And he tells us we can commune with him through these elements Think about the elements. They are God's heart opened up and given to you. And so when you come, Jesus is saying, here I am. Here's my best. He wants you to take those elements with faith in your heart. And he wants you, as you eat and drink, to give yourself back to him. The Apostle Paul tells us to examine our hearts. So let's stop and ask the question, The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Search your hearts, turn from all your sin, and set your face like flint, and obey Jesus. And let's eat this meal together. If you don't know what we're talking about today, and you haven't opened up your heart to the Lord Jesus, then let let the elements pass you by, and think about what we've said. Think about opening your heart. Think about giving your all to Jesus who's been given who's given himself up for you as we think about it at Christmas. But if you're here this morning, you've opened your heart. You've been baptized in this church or a church like it. You've professed your faith. And you are under the care of a session of elders. I'm going to ask that you sit down and eat and drink with us this morning. Open up to him again, even as he has opened himself up to you. Let's eat and drink to the nourishment of our souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to enjoy a meal with our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are so good to us, even as we think about the gospel. Too good to be true. Too good to be true. Right with God right with uh, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit working in us, just too good to be true. Thank you for each one in the room. Help us enjoy this fellowship together, even as we eat the body and blood of our Lord by faith. Strengthen us now. We pray that you will set these elements apart from their common to sacred use. May we eat to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.